American girls and American guys will always stand up and salute. We'll always recognize when we see your glory flying. There's a lot of men dead, so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister and me To grow up and live happy in the land of the free Now this nation that I love is falling under attack A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye Man, we lit up your world like the 4th of July Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list And the statue of Liberty started shaking her fist And an eagle will fly And it's gonna be That's a... Uh... Take off then. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I would almost say, like, to describe your audio, if I was sitting on a couch and you were standing right behind me, it's coming in that clearly. Really? Yeah, if I was, like, say, watching TV and you were standing casually behind me. Like you're watching religious-themed TV? Of course. And suddenly... That's the only kind of TV there is to watch, isn't there? I was just overcome with some sort of... Urge over what? Hey, some high tea going on there. See what I'm having? The uh, the official beer of roller rollerblading. <laughs> wow, almost a big slip. <laughs> <laughs> almost a massive slip. Uh, but I'm, wow. I'm, but it's the all organic kind because it actually has five less calories. This only has eighty five calories. But I deserve a beer tonight. You know where I've been? Softball? No. I've been at the awards banquet for the Church Summer Golf League where I was presented with my first place award. Well, yes. Way to go. Thank you. Thank way you. to go. Very common man of you. No, it is. It is. Just Should have done some charity work, but instead you just hit a, hit a seven iron a lot. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's shown up out of the blue at a church and taken it by storm like this since Sunoco Danny. That's what I think. Oh, man. <laughs> just bled every dollar out of the place. <laughs> Let's just say that I'm net positive for my time at this church. Wow. So you're only playing with your winnings. So if you ever wanted to withdraw the money, you'd be able to do so, unlike on FanDuel where... <laughs> Once you deposit your money, it becomes their money, apparently. So you're still That's having tr- trouble with that. Oh, no, no, no. I got my money back oh. after t- after talking to the third department. <laughs> Did you talk to Mr. Duel? Yes. <laughs> I got to Fan M. Duel. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a new policy. I was just, uh, I, I didn't ask or, you know, inquire on the intricacies of the policy, just Give me my money because it's my money. What are you doing? And yeah. they, they finally did. I did leave like, I left more than one cent in there. Initially, I was going to leave a penny. I ended up leaving like 20 bucks in there just in case something came up that I wanted to play. Deposited there. Well, lo and behold, I get an offer for a casino match bonus. 
And as Dave knows, and Glenn is about to, I've been studying to become a professional blackjack player. I've been studying the art of card counting. I've been reading some books, training app. It's been going pretty well. So I thought to myself, what? Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> you see this right here? That's a, this is all you need to know. It looks like some pr printed out paper with a chart on it. That could be anything. That, that looked like basic strategy, sir. That is basic strategy. So if you memorize basic strategy and then combine that with card counting, you hold a 2% edge over the casino in blackjack. And at high enough wow, volume... 2%. At high enough volume, you have to show a profit. It's mathematically impossible to lose money. Why don't you just put a lot of money in a CD and just not have to do anything? People still use CDs? Yeah. Two, well, I don't know if you get 2% out of that. I'm more into streaming these days, personally. But oh. Speaking of investing, I'm highly leveraged in Boyd Gaming. Get in on it. Boyd Gaming? Boyd. Okay, is in Boyd Crowder? Yeah. BYD is the symbol, and when they legalize it in most states, they're positioned well. Is this like some sort of sex toy operation? No, like they're the big. They're, I hope they don't listen to very this show. Established. Their stock's going to plummet when they hear that I've mastered basic strategy. <laughs> so I made a deposit. <laughs> I made a deposit on this site, and I didn't read the fine print, but obviously there's a rollover requirement, which for those listening to the show that aren't well-versed in online or any kind of gambling, usually when they give you a bonus, they give you the money, but you can't actually withdraw it, much like Glenn struggling with FanDuel, until you meet a requirement, which usually means betting the money a certain amount of time. So for the purpose of this casino, you had to bet the money 25 times whatever the bonus was. So if you deposited $100, you had to play at least 25 times 100, so $2,500 worth of play in whatever casino game you choose before it's eligible to cash out. And that sounds like a lot, but in reality, the way that it adds up is every hand of blackjack you play, all it's counting is the amount you bet, not the amount you won or lost. So if you're making $5 bets and you play you know, 20 hands, that's already $100 knocked out of your deposit. Okay. Yes. So... I read the fine print that said 25 times rollover on blackjack. I did not read the fine print that said it was only certain variants of blackjack. So this particular casino offers what's called live dealer gaming. Are you familiar with this? Yes. So you are looking at a webcam of an actual blackjack table, and the dealer is dealing real cards in an undisclosed location, most likely somewhere in the uh, South American region. It was likely Euless. Yeah, or Mesquite. <laughs> and then you're, you ma you're making your virtual bets while they're dealing the cards on the table. So for card counting purposes, this is a um, shoe game, which in blackjack terms means that they're, they're um, using a shoe full of cards and you can actually gain an advantage by counting. If you play an electronic blackjack game, the cards reshuffle after every hand so you don't gain an advantage by counting. So for me to try out my counting edge, I needed to be playing this kind of game. So I sat down and played this game and promptly lost uh, a couple hundred dollars. Variance. Well, it's fine because I still have several hundred dollars left in my account. But now that all the dollars left in my account are technically bonus dollars. And it's then that I realized the live dealer games do not count towards the bonus rollover. Ah. Not to fear. So I've still got hundreds of dollars left. So I start playing the kind of blackjack that does allow the bonus rollover, and I play through um, about $3,600 worth of play 
on this blackjack game that does count. And not only did I play through $3,600, I also showed a $200 profit during this time. Nice. I go to look at my bonus percentage rollover meter, and it is still at 0%. Oh, not blackjack not allowed? Blackjack allowed, but apparently I exhausted the real cash in my account losing at the live dealer game. So now I'm stuck with only quote-unquote non-real cash, bonus cash in my account, even though it looks like real cash. And they told me that I can't accrue working off my bonus if I don't have any real money deposited in my account. (laughs) So I'm caught in a weird catch-22 where I'm winning money hand over fist with money that'll never be able to be cashed out. And it's the bonus money is last out. So if you put on... 200 bucks and I lose it. So now you're, yeah. So your account would show, you know, whatever, 200 plus your bonus. So let's say it's 300 in bonus. You drop down to 300, then you're back at this stuck in the same problem again. (laughs) So I have got it. I have got to read the the, fine print, no matter what language it's printed in. I've threatened the (laughs) entire country of Antigua. I have put them on notice (laughs) that I'm going to devote the full resources of america to bring them down (laughs) i don't know if i told this story about trying to unlock a bonus but um i had a similar situation casino bonus on an online casino i don't want to mention the name so i'll make one up we'll we'll call it bovada yeah um funny word it's a funny name yeah and uh i saw that the quickest way to the Tailor how quick it unlocks based on the players it, or the edge of the house. So high house edge games like roulette, for example, um, unlock it quicker than blackjack. So I decided, all right, you just got to put it in play. So I went and I put $25 on black, $25 on red. So I'm playing $50, but technically should push almost every time spin it it was red push so i'm like well let's speed this up 300 on black 300 on red second spin double zero green lose oh, everything. No. what could possibly oh, go no. wrong how could that possibly not be rigged so glenn in my new recurring set segment today's basic strategy question of the day you have Ace-6, also known as a soft 17, against a dealer's 6 up card. What do you do? So the dealer is showing a 6, and you have a soft 17. Hmm. I'm going to hit it. Can I ask a question? You can ask a question. Does the casino allow doubling after splitting? Why, that's a very interesting you would ask that question. Yes, they do. <laughs> I will split. You actually can't split. That's a joke. Um, but you can uh, you can double. Oh, so doubling down is the, the, yeah. the best thing to do? Yeah, you double down. Because it's clearly a, a bust hand that the dealer has. Yeah, so you, wanna, so you want another card. You want to get as much money on the table as you can, so you double it down. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there you I go. I read you. I guess that's, you do need a chart and a book for that. That's your basic <laughs> strategy question of the day. 
Oh, goodness. So, Dave, I understand that you texted the group before you texted and said if that Glenn wasn't there by 8.35, you were quitting the show for good. <laughs> you said that you had prepared a list. I do. Following in the footsteps of my personal hero, Junior Miller, I have a top five, bottom five list. Oh, boy. Let's hear it. Oh, boy. And I feel I'm uniquely qualified for this. Now, you didn't do the races, did you? <laughs> Not again. <laughs> I feel I'm uniquely qualified for this because between seven and ten times a week, I will have a nice bowl of cereal. That's ten, right. ten a week seems excessive. I like cereal. Uh, you know, I probably don't have, I probably more like five a week. But if you went back a couple of decades, I would say it'd probably be 10 to 15 bowls of cereal a week. It was about two a day. It's unbelievable. All right. Let's start, let's start with top five. What do you say? That's great. All right. So these five are in one. order. Five, five to, to one. one. Five to one. All right. Five to one. So bringing in number five, more of a, a childhood favorite, but still stands up today. Fruity Pebbles. Okay. Number four, classic Frosted Flakes. Criminally low on your list. Should be number one. Number three, criminally underrated cereal, Cinnamon Life. Interesting. I actually don't have a problem with that. Cinnamon Life is good. Then... Not number one, but making it up to number two, the classic Honey Nut Cheerios. A classic should be in the top five. And number one, the goat of all breakfast cereals, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Two cinnamons? I think you're over-cinnamoned in this list. This is This list is infallible. It's perfect. So here's my problem with the list. One, you have too many cinnamons. <laughs> and the second thing, and this is not surprising considering what you wanted to rank, there are no cocos in, I, this, in this top five. I am five. curious where the cocoa pebbles were because the milk turns chocolate. And why you wouldn't rank cocoa puffs ahead of cocoa pebbles. I wish you could see my screen right now. Bottom five, number five, cocoa puffs. Wow, we are we are like the complete opposite ends of the spectrum here. So you've undocked. Go ahead. It's your it's your list. So go ahead. Number four on the bottom, and this is number one on the bottom is the worst of all time. Just to clarify, <laughs> I'm worried that the, what you're going to say the worst of all time is I've eaten every day this month. That's what I'm worried about. Well, we'll, we'll see. But I want to be very clear. It's just for fiber. <laughs> Number four, which I believe got taken off the shelves years ago, Frankenberries. It's only it's seasonal. That's a trash cereal, though. It is a trash cereal. Anytime they're trying to pollute the marshmallow with fruit flavor, that's a, uh, that's a big, big no-go for me. Okay, so number three is actually two, two cereals that went together in my mind. I'm okay with regular Captain Crunch, 
but peanut butter Captain Crunch and Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries are trash. I think they're all terrible. I like regular Captain Crunch. Crunch Berries, no way. I'm neutral on peanut butter crunch. It always seemed to me like it was cereal that they made, and then they just had this huge amount that they just left out somewhere, and it got stale. <laughs> and they just said, just put crunch at the end, and it'll be fine. Never never a big fan. Go ahead. It's on your worst list, so I, I can support that. So number two was number one until I thought of the true number one. But number two was there for a while. So second worst cereal of all time, Kicks. Wow. Oh, yeah. I had I, when you started talking, I wrote down Kicks has got to be on the worst list. So that's I support fair. that. Because it when you were a kid, it looked like it should be really good. And it was packaged in such a way that you expected it to be sugary and sweet. And it was just nothing. It was just totally just just air puffs. with no flavor. It was terrible. And like I said, yeah, for when I made this list several days ago, that sat on number one. Until earlier today, when I thought of the true number one, shredded wheat. <laughs> that is bad. Are you talking about Here's the old some school lawn that... clippings? Pour some milk on them and eat them. <laughs> the old school that came in like the big bar. That yeah, you had to break up. Yeah, that that was pretty bad. But I will say that the frosted mini wheats that might be a they're top good. fiver for me. They're good. Yeah, but they're frosted and they're mini. The, the normal version, like you said, it's just this awkwardly shaped, yeah. tasteless thing. No, or it's like eating hay. Did you put it in milk? So I would say worst, and I haven't done any prep for this, obviously, grape nuts, terrible. It's a good one. No, nothing to do with grapes or nuts, <laughs> so I have no idea. But I am a, a large child, so favorite cereals... I haven't had much cinnamon life, but regular life with some banana slices in it all day long. The trick to both forms of life is you can't let them get soggy. Yeah, I agree. You got to eat it pretty fast. Yeah. That's great advice across the board. Uh, Just get in and get out, you know? Don't, don't cocoa puffs, waste any extra time. Fruit, fruit Loops, Lucky Charms. Let's do it. Lucky I'm Charms, in Lucky on Charms all those is except Cocoa Puffs. Honorable Man. mention. I think honorable mention for the bad list would be Tricks, terrible cereal. Tricks is disgusting bad. cereal. And then honorable mention for me because I've eaten it every day the month of September. All brand. Forty six percent of your daily allotment of fiber. And let Never me tell you it. something. <laughs> the regularity <laughs> has been superb. Have you ever had Muslix? It's it's like just a bunch of seeds and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I yeah I have, and it's terrible. Yeah, that's awful, awful, terrible stuff. Man, cocoa puffs was that was the staple in college, where like late at night you need some cereal, but you also either a don't have any clean bowls or you don't want to mess with washing it or whatever. So you just pour the box in your mouth and then drink out of the gallon of milk. To, wow. paraf- to paraphrase a quote from your dad. You may have the clean bowls, but I have the clean bowels. Because I've been getting 46% of my daily allotment of fiber in the morning, right right out of the chute. And then you go to work and then try to pawn off the bathroom scenes on other people. Hey, (laughs) big big update on that. Somebody pooped in the urinal. (laughs) 
Where do you work? So I'm going to read this you. This is a corporate place. I'm going to read a, you. The, you're not working at Waffle House. Yeah. So that happened today. So a guy, the guy that I work with that's the most upset about this had had enough and called the facilities manager. So this is some a position that I didn't even know existed. But they sent down a guy that was actually dressed in business clothes that oversees all the facilities. And this guy, true story today, he guy comes down to our area and he's like, hey, come here, come here. We have a cereal pooper. <laughs> and uh, somebody just has access to all the floors and that guy just firing was away. 100% convinced he was being pranked. I don't think he took our concerns seriously. So, but yes, somebody did poop in the urinal. Is there like a obviously disgruntled employee that's just riding out? Just <laughs> Glenn. Good lord, that's not even. They need more all brand. That would solidify things for sure. Yeah, that is uh, as it were. That's unfortunate. But yeah, we uh, we have still not caught the perpetrator, but. Uh... The serial pooper has struck again. Now, before we get before we get to the very serious topic of today's episode, I believe Dave also has um, something that we're going to make into a recurring segment on the show. Yes, this is a new segment that will rotate around the group. But this was uh, one that came to my mind this week. So I'm going to lead it off here. I saw a movie that is a classic by most people's standards that I'd never seen before this week. Flipped on the TV. First, let me ask you if you guys ever do this. Flip on the TV. It's on, I don't remember if it was a cable or a movie channel or something. No, it wasn't a a movie channel. It was like a cable channel. And um, I'm like, huh. Supposed to be good. Never seen it. We're like three minutes in. Stop it to find the stream of the theatrical, like the full movie, not the TBS uh, version. Yes, so you want to see any nudity? <laughs> this movie did not have any of that. But I just feel like if I've never seen the movie, it's supposed to be good. I want to see the actual movie. If it's something I'd seen before, I'll ride with the condensed for tv version all right i didn't i do not do that well, but i've seen jaws you don't before like, so you don't like doing any extra work so we've pretty well established that in 130 episodes that's true jaws may be the greatest movie of all time so that would not be okay me mentioning in this segment this is unpopular opinions and my unpopular opinion is the 1989 hold on hold on 1989, Field of Dreams. No. Uh, it Batman. Has Batman. Oh, nice. Wow. It is a trash movie. Yeah, it sucks. Like, I love Michael Keaton. Like, Mr. Mom's one of my favorites. Don't have strong feelings either way on Jack Nicholson, but he was fine. But that movie was just, like, it's just terrible. Like, the fight scenes are bad. The movie's bad. The plot's bad. 
everything. So that is a uh, that was that was Tim Burton, right? Yes, that made it. So it's got his style to it. But I think we were so desperate for any superhero movie back then that wasn't Superman that it almost didn't matter who was in it or how good it was. It was just seeing those characters on screen. Because I think when I first saw it when I was like 12, 13, I kind of liked it. But on the rewatch a few years later, four or five years later, I was like, this is not good. This is not good at all. Well, it's funny because I like my biggest exposure to the movie because I think I was six when it came out was people talking about like, you know, who is the best Batman and so many people say, oh, it was it was Keaton. It was Michael Keaton. So I was pumped up. I was like, man, I've never seen this. Like, let's give this a shot. And could not have been more disappointed. I've never seen it. Say, waste, <laughs> You don't need to waste your time. Yeah, I'm not going to. This is not one of those where, oh, yeah, you need to go see this. You, you're you okay. I'm you're, also, in a, you're in a safe space here. I've also never seen Field of Dreams. Okay, how is that possible? You're like I'm baseball like, guy. I'm like known as Mr. Baseball around the office. I've never seen Field of Dreams. I've never seen Bull Durham. You know what? Bull Durham overrated. Not bad, but overrated. <laughs> Field of Dreams is just it's a very unique movie. And like when I, I actually watched it much the same situation. I turn on the TV and it's just on whatever channel. It's like on TNT or FX or something. And I've seen it, I don't know how many times. And when you have the commercials, it's a three-hour adventure. But once I'm, if I go past one commercial break into like the second it's coming back, I'm I'm locked in. It's got me. I'm going to watch the whole thing. So thumbs up. You need, you need to watch it no, once. No, I do. And I also need to watch Caddyshack since I golf all the time, and I've never seen that. It's good. That's one of those, I think, that's a little overrated, but it doesn't mean it's bad. But you know what I have seen? Little Big League. Angels in the Wait, which one is <laughs> Rookie of the Year. Wait, which one is Little Big League? It's when the kid grandfather, played by the late, great Jason Robards, is the general manager and owner of the Minnesota Twins, and he dies and leaves the uh, helm of the franchise to his, like, 10-year-old grandson. Awesome. Yeah, and then it gets real big into like sabermetrics and on-base percentage and stuff. It becomes real technical after that. We already had this debate at the Baseball Hall of Fame about Rookie of the Year being a trash movie. No, don't ever say that or we'll cancel the show right now. (laughs) I will fight anybody that that's, that's that's the greatest baseball movie ever made. So terrible. It had John Candy in it and it was still terrible. I will put every Chet single person. Stedman. I will put every single person that disagrees with that that that's the greatest ever in the Anaconda Vice one by one as long as it takes. <laughs> I'll do it. Ah, so nine eleven, hmm, indeed. So well, hold on, Tommy. Are you bringing an unpopular opinion to the table? Oh no, I'm saving mine for next episode. This is a quick hit segment. Okay. I've got mine for next episode though. And I had one, but I can save it too. No, you guys better buckle up. I got one. It, mine, mine's a mine's a two-parter. It's two things that sound similar that are both overrated. So, just keep your, get your mind right for that. The serial checks and. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, I see what you did there. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, so never forget, guys. And can I, I don't know where we want to start with this, but Tommy, you have the oldest child among the three of us. Are they talking about it in his school yet? No, the only time he's ever heard about it was from his wheels-off baseball coach who once in a <laughs> post-game speech related not paying attention during the game to 9-11. But other than that, no, he has not been made aware of that yet. He's a third grader. We've not gotten around to that in history class yet. I wonder when they do. I feel like that's a middle school Probably level at the earliest. It's kind of crazy. I think you're like 12, 13. It's crazy to think that it's been so long that there are kids that are graduating high school that didn't live through that. You know, it's 18 years, I guess, whatever, this year. Yeah. Anniversary. That's and I mean, there's pretty you wild think about to think. If you were, you know, four or five at the time, you probably don't have much memory of it. So, I mean, we're talking like people going into the workforce now. Like 23-year-olds. Oh, yeah. No, we actually had this conversation today. There's there's people on my team, you know, we were doing much like what we're going to talk about is, hey, where were you when it happened? And the stories were either, you know, I don't remember it or, you know, I was in, you know, some really young grade at school and, and didn't really know what was going on, which is crazy. You know, now these are, you know, 23, 4-year-olds that are, you know, working in, working in the team that I'm managing. And, you know, for me, it was such a big it was such a big event because it was so scary um, after it happened, not knowing, not knowing what was going to come next. And I think that was the scariest part about it for me. Yeah. I think it was just, uh, it was one, it was easily the eeriest day that I think that we've ever experienced probably individually or, you know, extrapolated to as a country, you know, the shock of the initial attack and everything, but then, you know, through the day, and then the you know not knowing what the next day was there more to come from yeah. an attack standpoint. Yeah. So I think the and I want to before we get too far into it, I want to just real quickly go around and talk about what we were doing when it actually happened. The the you know the primary attack happened, but I will agree with you that for me, the that day doesn't even really stand out other than just remembering where you were when it happened. But it was the weeks and weeks after that when gas prices are going up, the people are, you know, making runs on the banks, there's anthrax, you know, or fake anthrax getting mailed around. That's the part I would focus on more. But the morning of my story of what I was doing when it happened is really, really bizarre. So it was early in the morning, and I was taking a bowling class at college. So I was a sophomore in college in 2001. So I'm taking a bowling class that happened to meet at 8 a.m., which is bizarre in and of itself that they have bowling at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was taught by, and I don't know if, Dave, if you remember this lady, but it was taught by a really old lady. I don't know if she was still teaching when you in the department when you came through. There. No, I took bowling, but my professor was a guy that looked like Ron Washington named Otis. <laughs> he was awesome. And, dude, that guy could roll. <laughs> Why do I think he threw a palm ball? Am I right? <laughs> he did. <laughs> My class was taught by a probably a 70-year-old woman, and she actually had some bowling chops, but she was very serious. And what 
I was taking the class because I thought it would be a blow off, have some fun, bowl with your friends. And she actually, we had written exams where we had to, you know, talk about where you aimed to pick up different spares. So I'm taking this bowling class and this lady's pretty serious. Well, the bowling center at our campus was downstairs of the student center and they actually had uh, a little restaurant down there that had TVs that were playing. So it would be rare, I guess, at that day and age, you know, this is pre-smartphones and pre-ubiquity uh, of TVs. So I was actually in one of the few places on campus where there was a TV that was playing. So if I'd have been anywhere else, I'm probably hearing about it from a teacher. So we're down in the bowling alley, and then the, the doors to the bowling alley are glass and look out into this restaurant. Well, there's a TV there. Well, I notice, you know, as we're warming up and getting ready to do our bowling for the day, there's people standing by the doors uh, congregating on the TVs. And it wasn't at this time, it was like, man, something happened. There, you know, there was a plane crash in New York, and it's on TV and it's live. And the, uh, the more people started to congregate around the door, well, the teacher, this old lady, comes, comes to the door and says, hey, we need to focus on bowling, and walks out and turns off the TV. So we would focus on bowling. Well, then we were bowling. Well, she's, she's thinking it's just like oh, she's an thinking accident. it's just a plane crash and everybody's not paying attention. Well, we finish our bowling class from 8 to 9.30. Well, by 9.30, it's pretty clear what's going on, and they'd sent out the campus-wide email that classes for the rest of the day had been canceled. So then I go back to the dorm, flip on the TV, and find out what really happened. But yeah, my 9-11 experience was, oh, wow, there's something crazy going on the TV. Click, you need to get back to bowling because that's what's really important wants, here. I think she wants that one back. I, I would imagine she would probably like that one back. But that's where I was when it happened. Wow. I was on my way to work. and Man, how, um, Are you 50? Are you in your fifties? How old are you? Jeez. On my way to work, doing some the the hard labor that I do for America every single day, <laughs> and listening to the morning musers here in uh, here in Dallas. So I definitely they revisited that this morning as far as just their their call of it. As far as you know, they're doing their show. They see something on TV. They see one of the towers is on fire. And, you know, it's, it's, I mentioned the word eerie that it was eerie. Listen to that today, just before they knew anything, you know, five, 10 seconds in after it happens, Gordon's like, that might be a plane. And I remember driving down the highway, you know, five, 10 minutes from work and think, and just kind of laughing at that. Like, there's no way had to have been just some sort of just random, just a fire, some sort of explosion, something like that internally within the building, a plane didn't run into it. Um, and I think by the time got to work, got up to the floor and like got to my desk was like right when the second plane hit because people that got there earlier in the day were already clued in on this on the radio or otherwise. And when the second one hit, I just remember being at my desk, but then all of a sudden like several people just like stood up from their cubes, like, Oh my God, this is like this is not an accident. So were this there is, TVs there that were playing the live feed, or were people getting this news from internet? It was just internet or radio, and but because where we were sitting, there wasn't, so you had to go upstairs to where TV was, like in the lunchroom and everything, which most of us did. I didn't go up there immediately. Yeah, there's work to do, you know. Um, I know. 
but uh yeah everybody pretty much everybody went up there and then i think i was also of the opinion like people were mentioning you know whether they, the buildings might collapse again structural engineer me was like well i don't think the whole building would collapse like maybe you know one of the floors where it hit something like that but not the whole thing and then even i think there were people on our floor that were they were they didn't see it they were just going off what they had heard like secondhand and they're like i heard one of them collapsed i think initially i was like are you sure about that i, I just don't think that could happen or whatever so then go upstairs by the time I get upstairs in front of a TV and everybody that's in the office is basically upstairs watching it. And, um, the first tower is already collapsed and everybody, you know, is already, you know, it's visibly upset anyway, uh, just because of that. And I think we all were just holding on to this hope that the other building, that, that it would hold. Like, it's almost like this is just terrible. We've never experienced anything like this, but, maybe we could just salvage one of these, you know, get everybody out and everybody's just, it's so weird. You're just watching a building literally on CNN. You see the stuff that's, you know, flown out of them from the impact and the collapse all around the city and the other footage that they were showing on the news. And then that second building collapsed. And I'm telling you, I mean, just drained every bit of just like, life force from the room and there's no way there was a single dry eye in that whole room after seeing that because i mean you had no idea how many people were you know were killed in that and you're like i just saw that however many it is you know it turns out to be whatever 2500 3000 but it could have been 10 times that yeah you just saw all that life just taken from the earth wow so did you did you have your office work the entire full day and did you guys come back the next day or did, did they give people time off? Did they close down temporarily? No, we, we closed. Now at the time, let me assure you, I was in charge of no one. So I wasn't the guy making that decision. You were in charge of you. Yeah. I was in charge of maybe I can get there by eight o'clock when I'm supposed to. Um, but I think after the second collapse, you know, there's there's not anything else really to to watch about it. So people kind of meandered back to their desk, but it wasn't. I remember getting back to the floor. Nobody's working. Just, everybody's talking to each other. And I think before, I can't remember exactly, but I think like the second tower collapsed at like nine twenty something or nine forty. It wasn't fifteen minutes later that we got word from the big boss man at the time that said everybody just go home. Like this is not a day anybody needs to or is going to be able to work. So they just sent us all home and I drove home. Well, I drove home and from the time I got home, probably till midnight that night, all I watched was like ABC, CNN, NBC news, except for the hour or so that I went to the grocery store because I was out of stuff and uh, I knew no one would be there. So I went and made a store trip. Man, that, but that, um, that experience with all the other coworkers, though, because I never really had that other than just like with the, you know, guy I was sharing a room with there in college. But I never had that big, you know, communal emotional moment for sure. Dave? <clears throat> well, I was I was in high school. The, the thing that stands out to me is, I, I mean, I watched it on TV from 
when the first plane hit and kind of went through the not knowing, you know, what it was, if it was an accident or whatever. <clears throat> but I, re- I remember at the time thinking like just not understanding understanding the I guess the scale of how big those buildings were and how many people were in them because I remember thinking like from when the first plane hit you know there's a chunk of time between that and the second plane then there's some chunk of time between that and the building collapsing I remember in like my head thinking well they're probably all out by now and just not understanding like how long it would actually take to evacuate, to evacuate a, building a building that size. <clears throat> and then you, <clears throat> then uh, obviously when, you know, you're watching the news and they're telling you like, you know, there were still a lot of people in there. You, it kind of, it kind of hits home. One thing, and I'm interested in Glenn talking about this cause I was just thinking about it, you know, now there's basically, especially my company, we have some, international clients so there's essentially nothing that ever stops like you know the emails coming in like even if it's a holiday here you still have people overseas that are you know asking for stuff like did it just shut down like because obviously the whole world knows at that point like yeah america's not working right right now no definitely um and our like main corporate office headquarters in new york city is a separate building it wasn't in the world trade center um trying to think how close that it was it's it was fairly close because about i was supposed to go to like a two-week training thing about a month i was supposed to go in october of 2001 and after this happened obviously there were several days or weeks where there were no flights at all so they canceled it so i went the following spring but I can remember talking to people that worked in that office that could, it was close enough that from where they sat in their office, that they could see the towers. And they told us about how that day before they sent everybody home. And some of it was, um, people didn't know what to do. So is it, do you, in the, within the city, do you want to let everybody go and everybody's on the street or, you know, in the subway or whatever, or is the safest thing just to stay in their building? So, but they, just told the story of they stood there by the you know row of windows on their floor after the first one was hit and the second one then they're watching it and people were sitting there they they see it when it collapses it's i mean it's in the distance it's not like it's right next door or anything like that but yeah i got to hear some of that firsthand testimony as well from employees that worked in the area yeah talk about yeah we shut down i mean it was it was a no-go we i think we we went back to, for that day. We went back to work the next day, but I don't know. That was it. Was just a weird time for for several days. Yeah, for sure. And talk about hitting close to home. So both of my parents at the time worked in the airline industry, where they would be out flying on airplanes, commercial flights. So I'm in college at the time, and I'm I'm not keeping real close tabs on what their schedules are. And for some reason, um, because they worked for Delta Airlines and I had known by this point that it was United and American, I wasn't ever really worried about their whereabouts, but it never really occurred to me that like, yeah, they probably were in the air or could have been in the air when this was going on. 
and I think my mom called me later that afternoon, and, and I said, hey, you know, can you believe what's going on? She's like, well, don't worry, Dad and I are fine. And I remember thinking, like, wow, I never thought, I was never really worried about that, and then I felt bad. Well, it turns out, and this is kind of a, you know, not funny, but amusing story. My dad was in the air, and of course, when that happened, and I'm sure you've seen that famous picture of the radar where it just they just clear the entire sky of planes. Well, his plane ends up in Las Vegas, and he's stuck there because they're not flying out. So he's stuck in Las Vegas, and he tells the story of being in Caesar's Palace in the sports book, and they've got every single TV turned to the news, which would never happen, and nobody's gambling. Right. So they're all the employees, the the patrons, the people that are stranded there. Everybody's just in the sports book watching the news, and nobody's gambling, nobody's drinking. It's it's just like the even you know Vegas, which is you know notorious for just being you know impervious to world events or anything that's going on. It's like the escape. Even there, you know, inside the casinos, it was bad. And then yeah. I asked him, I was like, well, "Wow, so how did that go for four days or however long you're stuck there?" And he's like, "Oh, we we got back to gambling the next day." It's fine. <laughs> Don't worry. But funny tie on to Vegas. And uh, I was there. Um, I wasn't old enough to gamble, but I was in Vegas for a drag race in October that year. So a month removed. And I can remember being in a casino and, you know, whatever game was on, I guess probably baseball at that time. It was just like a TV with the national anthem before the baseball game and like everyone in the casino stopped because they could hear it. You know, it was just like everyone was so emotional at that time. It was really weird. Yeah, I even remember super patriotic, but I think for good reason. No, I remember the American flag decal on the car was a big player at that time. I mean, I know yeah. I think I had one on my vehicle. I think my parents did. Like, that was just what you did. You know, everybody had the American flag. And I remember especially in racing, which is still patriotic. But, I mean, you know, I think every NHRA and NASCAR driver was wearing the FDNY hat instead of their sponsor hat. And, yep. you know, the my life hero of all time, John Force, just went with the full American flag paint scheme, the Kestrel American paint scheme just let it let it be known i believe we postponed an entire uh sunday and monday of of the nfl season we did we did um toby keith rewrote the national anthem (laughs) wwe two days later i believe it was september 13th was smackdown yeah and i need to that is something well, if we'd have planned ahead, that could have been this episode to to review the post nine eleven WWE SmackDown. But that's one I feel like I need to go back and watch. I've I've listened to stuff about it, but I think I, I feel like I need to watch it because it sounds like they're good at that. Oh yeah, you know that's no, and, and it, some of it I think is kind of playing to constituency. But I feel like they did a good job of whether it's the best decision to, to move forward with your broadcast two days after something like that, but I, it seems like they handled it well. Yeah, and if you've not listened to the Bruce Pritchard episode about that, you need to, because it's fascinating, the behind the scenes of not only the, you know, Vince McMahon's eagerness to move on and show, you know, show that we're not going to back down, but also just the logistics of the city of Houston 
where they were at, if they're going to be comfortable with a large public gathering, because, you know, th- this was the time when nobody knew if there were other people lying in wait for the next wave, you know, and that's, that's why they weren't flying planes and they're canceling events left and right is it's, you know, we, we've now had our security as a nation totally exposed and Vince is, you know, Vince is ready to roll with it. And I, you know, they were even, you know, trying to get, I don't remember if it was, I don't think it was W George W Bush, obviously, but I think maybe George senior, they were trying to get him since it was Houston to show up at the event and negotiating with the secret service about, you know, it, the logistics of that. I mean, the whole thing is really fascinating. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend uh, digging up that episode. But yeah, I remember, um, you know, I just remember in general the the unease around any public gathering probably, you know, for the next many years. I mean, I think we're to the point now where we don't really think about it. But I, you know, I, you I know, can remember funny. the Super Bowl that year when they had the snipers stationed everywhere mm-hmm. and the no-fly zone that was basically the entire city, you know, just insane amount of precautions that were being taken. I remember for several years afterwards, you know, whether it was, you know, baseball game, football game, wrestling, whatever. If I was in an arena or a stadium, I always thought about it. Like, man, there's a bunch of people here. And that's kind of waned, but... I still, every time I get on a plane, like, even if it's just for a split second, you kind of think, hmm, like, what if? yeah, yeah. and I never thought that because I, you know, as a kid, um, you know, had taken flights, you know, I was in high school, you know, flew a few places and never crossed my mind before that day. And now every time it does. Yeah. And what so I, now I think... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say what I had learned from my parents being that they worked in the industry was before that day, they were trained when somebody, you know, if there was a hijacking situation, which had happened, they were trained to go along with whatever, because the point of the hijacking was always to get money or get something. So it was, hey, let them take over the plane. They'll have you land somewhere. They'll negotiate with them, you know, and that, that but the idea was to keep the hostage, you're the hostage takers calm you know, obviously not let them in the cockpit, but at the same time, there was never this idea that there would be, you know, people that would want to use the plane as a weapon. So I feel like, you know, at that time, the, the, they, had, they had discovered a real flaw in just how we were securing our nation in general, because nobody would have ever thought of conceived of that scenario playing out. Well, also, pre-9-11, the cockpit door lock was i believe pretty flimsy right oh, no they would leave it i mean they would occasionally leave it open if the the you know captain had to use the bathroom i mean it was you know people would go up there and talk to them during flights i mean not not like common everyday passengers but now i mean i'm flying all the time for work now i mean if the if the captain has to come out of the cockpit now to use the restroom they have to they have to clear the aisle. Nobody can be anywhere near there. Then the flight attendant goes in the cockpit with the co-pilot. The captain comes out. They close the door. They have a signal word to let the door be opened again. I mean, it's this whole ordeal just just so that can happen. The, you know, it's that, weird. It's just a totally different setup that that wasn't in place back then. It's kind of weird when you think about stuff like that. I. I think it was probably before I was born or I was a tiny little kid when they had the um, dude that poisoned Tylenol. And yeah, that, they never like, caught got the guy. 
that got everyone like, oh, maybe we should put safety caps and seals on, like things that we never thought of. But then when it happens, you're like, yeah, why didn't why didn't we think of that? Like like Dale Senior got us to think of the Hans device. The Hans device was already around. They just didn't make everybody wear it. And he was taking it to the extreme by just wearing like he was basically wearing the like the um, the Hutch plastic helmet that you buy for your kid when they're six when they want to dress like the Dallas Cowboys. He was wearing one of those. Do you guys remember when you could just go to the airport and walk right up to the gate without a ticket? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, if you were definitely. if you were meeting somebody coming off a flight, you could just stand right at the jetway and welcome them. The airport was a. Uh, we did this a few times, not all the time, but um, was uh, good for. Hey, we don't have anything to do tonight. Let's just drive to the airport and just kind of walk around. Just people watch. Just check out things. You could walk anywhere. DFW is huge, so yeah. it's plenty of space to cover. Not, uh, not anymore. It's not a, not a place to hang out. So, um, in the loose change episode, we did. Many, many years ago. Highly recommend. Maybe don't listen to it on 9-11, though. Just out of respect. No, no, no. Any other Wait, day of the year day. is fine. Did we cover... Did you Did you cover... Because obviously you led that episode. Did you cover the potential fifth plane that was hijacked? No. Or to, to be hijacked? No. So this came up... Uh, actually, Justin brought it to our attention via Twitter... Um, try and let me look through here the story. But it was this I found an article from 2011. The Wilmington News Journal had an article where they interviewed first female general Carol Timmons, who was promoted to that rank. Blah blah blah. blah. Um, she was a commercial pilot for Pan Am and United. So she was on United Flight 23, preparing to take off from New York's JFK Airport, bound for Los Angeles on 9-11. They pulled away from the gate and were taxiing down the runway when the airport was shut down and the crew was ordered to secure the cockpit. So obviously the towers and or, I don't know if the Pentagon crash had happened yet, but, but they, enough had happened they got where the they news. said no more flights. They got the news while they were taxiing. Yeah. They're this, taxiing to the runway to take off. this does fit the model that they were looking for flights that would be full of fuel, so a East Coast to West Coast flight would certainly fit that model. Right. Right. So, um, so they're interviewing this pilot. Uh, let's see. And this kind of reads. It makes sense, but possibly offensive. I don't know. But she confirmed as the pilot grabbed the crash axe... She jumped from her seat and started barricading the cockpit door once they got that order to shut everything down. From the other side of the barricade, the cabin crew relayed their concern about four young Arab men that were sitting in first class who became very agitated when the takeoff was canceled. So they pull around to the terminal, and these four men immediately flee from the plane. When it returned to the terminal, they left everything that they had on the flight behind. As soon as they opened the door, they basically just stood up and got out of there. Wow. So what they found were box cutters and Al-Qaeda documents were later found in their luggage. Wow. Wow. I've never heard and that the, story before. 
I hadn't heard the, that either. The pilot and the rest of the crew were repeatedly questioned by the FBI, though the findings were never shared. Um, the, this pilot they, that they interviewed, just you know, she's assuming she concluded that Flight 23 would have been the next plane hijacked by terrorists if the airport shutdown had been delayed, really probably beyond a matter of minutes, if that. And basically, she says she was questioned by the FBI, but they don't tell you anything. They ask you a bunch of questions, and that's it. They're not explaining to you what they're using the information for, what's going to happen next, or um, or anything like that. So, And then I was reading, uh, I think it was uh, Zacharias Musawi was one of the terrorists that were that was arrested and I guess doing life in prison. I don't I don't know what their I assume that's what their sentence was. But in his testimony during his trial, I don't know if it was this flight or not, but he definitely testified at least that he was supposed to be part of a group that would have uh, hijacked a separate plane that was going to crash into the White House. Because I think United ninety three was supposed to crash into the Capitol building. Right. And this one, whatever one he was referring to, was supposed to crash into the White House. And who knows? If there's a fifth one, maybe there's a sixth, seventh, maybe there was 10, 20. Just, they just said, hey, we'll just do as many as we can until things get shut down. If we can get eight or ten of them in the air, we've got that many targets. It's unbelievable. And, and also, I mean, and, and I don't mean this to sound trivial in any way but the fact that they were the ones that were in the air that three out of four of them were able to actually hit the targets with amateur pilots is is insane because i feel like that would be way more difficult than it seems like it would be to actually be able to get to the right altitude and to hit the target without missing it without you know blowing past it high crashing beforehand that seems really improbable yeah, we've done, obviously we've already done an hour on conspiracies, so we don't want to go down that road. But a lot of that pun not intended fuels the, you know, the controversy of, yeah, if it's an amateur pilot, especially somebody who was in one of those pilot schools in Florida that was like kind of a D's to get degrees type of uh, student, but they were able to execute that. But it's not impossible that they could do it. It's just unlikely. All right, so morbid hypothetical time. If they tried to pull that, all things considered the same, except everybody on the plane now knows that that's a viable attack option, do they get away with it? And what I mean by that is, as soon as something starts, everybody on the plane's like, okay, we're going to have to do something or this is not going to end well, rather than the, hey, let's remain calm, they're going to land this plane and negotiate. Well, have they already, like, killed the pilots? No, I, I'm saying, like, as soon as whatever they do to start the attack, so however they first identify themselves, if they get up and scream or grab a flight attendant or whatever, as soon as it starts, does the knowledge that everybody now possesses make that impossible for them to pull off? I think so. I think now they can't get to the cockpit easily, and I think they're going to tip their hand, obviously, that they're trying to get in. <laughs> and I think that, I think, you know, obviously, if it's, you know, whatever, five, four guys, there's enough people on the plane that if, you know, 15 of them are up for rushing them, I think it gets done. 
And I think we have a lot more air marshals now too. Right. And, I, and we've seen this. We, you know, you had right after nine eleven, you had is it Richard Reed? I think that the was the, shoe, name, bomber. the shoe bomber guy. You also had another guy that I can't remember if he had something explosive that was in his shoe or it was in his pants or if it was just on his person in some form or fashion. But we, I think we've had two or three examples of guys who were trying to set something off and people immediately just like took them down, yeah. like without hesitation. The Anaconda Vice. Yes, they were. They were. <laughs> they were in the LaBelle lock. In like two seconds flat, and Richard Reed was tapping out before, and then the music hit. But um, yeah, I think impossible. I don't know because you know there's something's always possible, but I would say very unlikely. I mean, and there hasn't been has there been anything even similar to this in 18 years anywhere in the world? No, no, and I th- and I think the security changes have put a stop to that but it does make me nervous because i think we're as a society we're so much more aware of these things but i always do you know when i let my mind wander think is there something else that we're not seeing right now that that is going to be the catalyst for whatever the next thing is yeah and then we're gonna we're gonna leave that going wow like how in the world were we did we not see that like we did with the planes afterwards and even if it takes 20 or 30 years for somebody to figure it out right still you know, that doesn't make it doesn't make it okay. I think uh, certainly for a period of time, going to any type of sporting event or large gathering, you thought about that like a terrorist type act. Um, I think that's been replaced with every time that I go to whether it's church, whether it is a movie theater, any any place like that, when I go there, I always know exactly where the closest exit is. Because it's a million to one, it might be a ten million to one shot, but you know the mass shooting is what pops up now. And if things start going down right there, I want to know what's the closest way that I just get out of here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I do the same, but it's more for the IBS than because <laughs> of all the all the brand. You know, the, um, whole, the whole colon thing, the spastic colon, it's tough. I think, I think the rest of that day, like I said, was just watching a lot of the same news footage like over and over. You had all the footage from those, I think it was two French guys that were making a documentary about New York firefighters or something like that that had the initial shot of the first plane going into the building because it flew like right over them. And that stuff was just being shown over and over and over and just watch the news until you you basically just couldn't watch anymore and you had to go to work the next day. But I remember having trouble going to sleep that night and just going to bed thinking, what's the news going to be in the morning? Like how much more different is the world going to be when I wake up in six or seven hours? Right. No, same, same here. And, And just the, the people that overreacted, so the people that went and tried to hoard gasoline and the people that cleared the store out of food and did all these stupid things, like that was stressing me out more than anything. And the college I was at got a couple of fake anthrax letters, you know, of, of that weren't really anthrax, but, you know, that shut down the postal center. 
on campus because somebody mailed white powder. You know, those kind of things kept happening for, you know, it seemed like months after. And then I was just getting frustrated of like, okay, when are we going to get back to like normal? You know, when is it, when's this going to go back to just how it was? Because I'm, I just was getting too stressed by what was happening or not knowing what was going to happen next. Yeah. I always wonder is, and maybe one of you know, or a listener knows, is there a good documentary, not about the events? I know there's movies and stuff about that, but I've read an article. I mean, it was years after it happened that tried to piece together like the government intelligence, Homeland security, like, you know, day of, and then the next few days, and it was some wild stuff. I remember they, you know, had some small group of like six dudes that were, you know, elite, whatever spy tactical special forces. And they just put them on a plane with like, you know, all sorts of, uh, obviously military equipment, but then also just like pallets of cash, like American cash and like go over there and figure out, you know, what's going on and who's doing this. And I really would love a deep dive, either an article or a documentary into like what our quick immediate response was on that side of things. I don't think I've ever read or seen anything on that. I know that the, that book, the the looming tower. I was just about to mention, and that's also a Hulu series yeah. with Jeff Bridges that, or um, Jeff Daniels. That's really worth your time if you haven't watched it, Dave. You should certainly check it out. I think you'd really enjoy it. I think that bridges the gap, probably from the first World Trade Center attack all the way to nine eleven. What we knew, what we didn't know, what we ignored, that type of thing. Yeah, that that uh that whole I mean, based on the book, but that docu series is really frustrating. You know, with the hindsight being twenty twenty. Because there was things they picked up years before 9-11 that because of bureaucracy and certain people involved never never got escalated to the right levels. And and then, you know, you're watching it after the fact going like, oh, my gosh, you guys, like it was all here and mm-hmm. we're just missing it. Because you just never could have fathomed what they were really planning. I think from the stuff about just the day of, I want to say, and this is, I think it's on YouTube, I think it's just called like 107 minutes that changed the world. And the last time I tried to watch it, I just couldn't even make it through it. I got about 20, 30 minutes in and I was like, I'm just not in the right mindset to watch this right now. Cause it's really good, but it doesn't hold back anything. And you know, it, the events of the day. And I think where I had to cut it off was when they started covering all the people that were jumping out of the buildings and like, there's one guy, I forgot what they named him, but he, I think the guy, the, his picture of him, he's, he's jumped out of one of the towers and he's upside down, you know, falling to his death. And I think it was on the cover of Time magazine. And I was like, man, pretty dark person, but I'm not this dark to, to watch this right now. So, but it was really good. I actually need to finish it. It was a long time ago when I tried to watch that, but that was another, that's a good one from just the, 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 day of 9-11 events a summary of it yeah i'll i'll go wake the five-year-old up put it on yeah watch watch this oh he's gonna be fine well guys let's uh let's get us a little uplifting here to end our show we're 
already past our normal allotted time, but we've got another NFL weekend coming up. Did anybody make any good money this weekend? Dave, I know you had a lot invested, so how did no, that go? I had, I had, I couldn't get, I told you guys I was going to have 400 in play, and I didn't quite get there because I didn't want to max like one of the 150s. I think I had right around three, and I cashed a net loss of $40. I cashed well, like 260 bad. or something. Yeah, I had about, I had about 100 in play, including NASCAR and, um, I think I was about a net twenty dollar loss. Nothing, nothing great. Had a few, few that flirted with some greatness and then petered out at the end. So I had my target for every Sunday, especially as long as I have the proper time to prepare and research, just throw a hundred at it. So I had right at that, I think one hundred and five, and I came out with Sunday and Monday combined. I think I came out like an entire seven dollars ahead. Hey, which I can tell you, hey, I've th- thrown that and multiply it by about five away over the last two days in baseball. But that's another, that's another story. I only had, I don't know. I think I had more than two lineups that cashed, but I only had two that were really good. One, I think uh, my. Top score was in the 220s, maybe like 230. And it was very, uh, it was Dak Prescott and Michael Gallup intensive. That's a, that was a good combo to have. And I had it in just like a dollar tournament that paid a thousand up top. And it went in, there's like 11,000 people in it. And at one point in time, I was like in 38th place. Wow. And if you remember, I ended up, I think my dollar paid 30. I don't remember exactly what place I ended up in, but. If you remember in the game, late third quarter, Dak hits Gallup on like a slant over the middle, and he takes it for about 50 or 60 yards. If he takes that to the house, we may have had a sweat all the way to the end of uh, finishing at or near the top of that deal. The second lineup I had that was really good was uh, in our listener league. I know that Tommy made it a winner take all, so I was like, well, I'm not going like, I'm not going chalk here. I didn't I'm gonna make a it bit. a winner-take-all. DraftKings made it a winner-take-all due to lack of participation. Oh, they did? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, since it was winner-take-all, I did a bit and basically just stacked the, the Lions-Cardinals game with, like, <laughs> hey. with like the, just two other high-priced guys. Well, I had Kyler was, going off big, man. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, so I'm pretty far behind. And didn't catch our our winner from week one. But uh, as that game was progressing to the fourth quarter and then overtime, this was becoming more and more realistic. I didn't catch KJ, who I think posted, man, he ran a 40-yard dash and 216 points fell out. <laughs> and I think I got to like 190-something. But until, man, I was like, if this thing goes through the whole overtime and it ends on like a long pass that I've got both guys... I might catch him like right at the end and just take this whole thing away from him, but but not quite. So KJ was the big winner week one of the uh, of the listener league. So uh, congrats to him. Yes, congrats Indeed. to him. And I, uh, as tradition have it, came in last place because I always pick the worst of however many lineups I have to put in our listener league, and <laughs> did not disappoint. Hey. And I hear that KJ didn't do any research or anything. No lineup builder. He just kind of 
let's natural player selecting ability just take over. No comment. So we so, need, yeah, we need to get some more members this week. We need to get this up so we're at least paying the top two places. Yeah. So we'll uh, email the show. Yes. Email the yeah, show. Email or tweet, DM us, you know, whatever. If you've got an ID on DraftKings and you want to play, just send it to us and we'll we'll send you the invites. You can uh, so you can get in there. I don't think because we're past time, we don't want to delve into deep into strategy or anything. But that's something I can maybe tweet about before Sunday. I think the only thing that I'll say, looking at the slate on Sunday, is that the like the highest scoring games. I think it's Kansas City, Oakland, Saints, and the Rams are all both in the afternoon. I'm going to play some lineups that do all the noon games and the 3 o'clock, but I'm really highly considering about 80% of what I'm playing is just the noon games, and I'm just leaving the 3 o'clock and the Sunday night games alone. Because I also feel like you could do pretty well with the noon games, but then when Kansas City, Oakland is 41-30 to 30 or... The Saints and the Rams is 48 to 44. It's just going to break the slate anyway. So all that hard work you did in the for the first 14 games is gone. Fair point. I think that's good. So as we're wrapping up here, is there any player names you want to float out there like you did last week before we go? I know you haven't done a ton of research yet, but is there any any tease you want to give our listeners? Um, quick notes I've made so far. Uh, the Raiders are like super cheap and I was doing research today. I think it's because they'd already set the prices before the Monday night game. So last week we had Dalvin cook basically locked into every single lineup. I think this week that's going to be Josh Jacobs because he's priced at like 4,700 and Gruden's given him the ball 25 plus times every game. Um, if Joe Mixon is hurt, then Gio Bernard is a really cheap running back option. And we'll limit it to three things. The other thing I like, and I'll be playing a ton of this week, is a Pittsburgh stack against Seattle. So the Roethlisberger, James Conner, Juju, Juju. Smith-Schuster. Oh, yeah. Well, that gives me some That's hope because every season-long team I have has two of those three people you just mentioned in Juju on all three. So I need a big week out of those guys. So he's got a toe That gives me some hope. All, all reports are that he's going to be able to play. Seahawks gave up like 400 yards passing the Bengals last week. Steelers got to bounce back from getting trashed on Sunday night. So it's going to be a big game for the Steelers. And I'm going to be tournament lineups. are going to be all over that, all over that stack with just different combinations with those three, those three guys. That's my advice for this week. Go win $7. <laughs> Very good. Well, watch the, watch the show and, our Twitter accounts will try to put some more content out there, fantasy-related, as we get closer to the weekend. And maybe even we can get Dave to give us a few sports bets since he's 10-0 and on the NCAA season thus far. The Fiend. <laughs> what he's a moniker. The Fiend the of dominate. sports betting. All right, well, anything else before we sign off here, gentlemen? No. Happy 9-11. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue.